Good morning. I think everything is working well now. <laughs> Let me take this opportunity to, to thank you all for coming today to worship with us. And I want to bring the word of God from Psalms 147, verses 1 to 20. And I want to read verses... 15 to 20, because verse 1 to 5 was read, and verse 7 to 14 was read. So I'm going to read verse 6, and then verse 15 to 20. Verse 6. The Lord lifts up the harbor. He casts the wheat to the ground. And then from verse he stands out, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He howls down the crystals of ice like cramps. Who can stand? Before his cold, he sends out his word and he melts them. He makes his weed blue and waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for we can learn today from your word, from the song of Psalmist. We can sing with Israel and we can learn from their context and bring it to our context so that, Lord, we can be blessed together with them. Lord, I pray as I speak your word today that you'll help me so that, Lord, everything that I'm going to speak will bring praise and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The main idea of this psalm Psalm 147 is, it is good and satisfying to praise God. And I want to speak about this command that God is giving us. And if you notice, chapter 147 starts with the Hebrew word, Hallelujah which means you should praise Yahweh. Yahweh is also translated the Lord with the capitals in the Bible. And I want to speak about hallelujah. We should praise God always. The Hymn 147 
was probably written after Israel had come from 70 years of exile. As you can see that in verses 2, 13 to 14. They were back with broken hearts, broken houses, broken temple. This psalm was used in praise of Yahweh in magnifying his uniqueness. Yahweh is in the category by himself and he stands alone, unlike other gods which were idols. The psalmist calls the singers to sing of God's power, wisdom, transcendence, and then he also calls them to sing of God's care, compassion, and generosity. God is majestic and merciful, kind and king, powerful and gracious, and many other illustrations that are very wonderful truths about Yahweh, especially in Psalms. The psalmist exhorts the singers to praise the Lord three times. Each call to praise is followed by the reasons why they had to praise Yahweh. I have broken my sermon into three major parts, verse 1 to 6, verse 7 to 11, and verse 12 to 20. I will explain each part according to the three major points that I have drawn from verse 1, 7, and 12. We should praise God always, for He heals the brokenhearted. Verses 1 to 6. He who heals the brokenhearted commands us to praise Him. In verse 1, the psalmist exhorts us to praise God. That's verse 1a. And then he says, How good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. Over and over in the book of Psalms, we are called to praise God. Why? Is He all demanding and controlling? No, he is worthy of praise. So we should praise him. God's commands are always for our good and our joy. As we praise God today, let each one of us ask, How do I feel when worshipping? Do I feel good? Do I feel satisfied? Worshipping God is different from entertainment. And you know sometimes we tend to enjoy some form of entertainment than we enjoy worshipping God. Do I enjoy being in the presence of God? It is good to praise God. There is nothing like being with God's people. Singing God's praise. Sometimes we sing here that, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. There is nothing worth more that will ever come close 
Are we seeing nothing can compare? You are our living hope, your presence, Lord. God commands us to experience joy in His presence. We are made for beauty, for delight, and for community. And in worshiping God, we find what we were made for. The scholar Lewis says, In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. So don't reject God's command. Also, John, 1 John 5.3, John says, His commands are not burdensome. He who heals the brokenhearted is one who rebuilds Jerusalem. The psalmist is saying, The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel, exiled people. This verse suggests that this psalm was written during the rebuilding of Jerusalem. After the exile returned home from Babylon in Nehemiah chapter 12, God helped them to rebuild Jerusalem. He gave them protection. He healed their broken heart and they were heartbroken. God in his grace brought his people, the outcasts, back home in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and the following. Here in verse 3, the psalmist highlights the condition of the people's heart prior to the restoration. They were broken hearted. Even their families were broken before they were taken captive when they were defeated by Babylonians. And for 70 years, they had no land, they had no temple, they had no hope. The prophets had to speak to them, to encourage them, and to tell them that the Lord is going to bring you back home. After 70 years, God fulfilled his covenant to his people. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The brokenhearted returned to a broken city. And God cared about his people's brokenness. The Lord cares for the brokenhearted. The Lord heals the wounded. In his kindness, he rebuilds broken lives. He restores families. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Even within us today, God is doing these things that he did to the Israelites. When they were broken hearted, when everything was gone, he brought them back to their land because our God always fulfills his covenant that he makes with his people. We read Isaiah 61 verse 1b that he has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the freedom to the prisoners. These are the ones that Jesus Christ referred to when he was announcing his ministry 
in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Jesus knows suffering. He knows our brokenness. Not simply because he knows all things, but because he entered into our lives. He became a man with the flesh and blood. He was broken-hearted himself many times. He can sympathize with the weak because of that. He can bring healing. And one day, he will bring ultimate healing in our lives. Because Jesus was wounded for us, we can have our wounds mended. He who heals the brokenhearted is the creator and ruler of the nature. Verse 4 to 5. The psalmist reminds the brokenhearted of God's creation. God is the creator. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Spurgeon says that he counts them like a merchant count coins. You know when you are counting coins, you don't miss one. God cannot miss any of the stars in heavens. No one count, can count the stars anyway. He took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Genesis 15 verse 5. But God knows them all. He even gives names to them. Isaiah 40 verse 26. To name them implies that he rules over them. He rules over them. And that he cares for them. The God who knows the stars by name in the, is the God who restores the broken hearted. He is the one who renews our strength like the eagles. In Isaiah 40 verse 26 to that one. The psalmist is calling these people to praise God in spite of what they had gone through. He who heals the broken hearted lifts the humble and punishes the wicked. In verse 6. Yahweh is gracious to the needy. But he is also just to the wicked. To the wicked. He will punish the unrepentant. The psalmist says, the Lord helps the afflicted. Humble, afflicted but he brings the wicked to the ground. This verse resembles the previous, the previous verse in chapter 146, verse 9, where the psalmist is calling people to worship Yahweh. And then it says, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord sustains, the Lord blesses. The Lord upholds those in need. This is indeed amazing grace. This passage should remind us that 
to imitate God, we too should seek to lift up the afflicted. Just as the Lord watches over the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless, the afflicted, the prisoners, the blind, and the hungry, so his people should put his care on display with practical acts of mercy and justice. Micah 6 verse 8 and also James chapter 1 verse 27. When we look to the hurting world, we should ask, where, where are God's people? Not what's wrong with these people. Where are God's people? God plans always. And he plans that we, as his people, be useful to him. To display his love and righteousness in the broken world. We need to continue to look for appointments. To lift up and supply basic needs to the hurting. God's grace and justice were put on full display in Christ. Christ came and lived a life of grace and justice. We should praise God always, for He delights in those who fear Him. Psalm 147, verse 7 to 11. God who delights in those who fear Him provides. The second exhortation to praise God appears in verse 7. The psalmist exhorts the people to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. If the Lord has saved you and me, restores you and me, and draws near to you and me, then the appropriate response to Him is gratitude. The psalmist urges God's people to be gratitude, to have gratitude, to play the layer to our God. With these stringed instruments, much like a harp, they are to praise God. We should praise God and make it or make our praises beautiful. We should be happy when we are praising God. Make it beautiful. In verse 8 and 9, the psalmist gives us further reason to praise God by speaking of how God provides for creation. God covers the sky with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes grass to grow on the hills. He provides the animals with their food. And the young ravens, what they cry for. Notice that God feeds both birds and animals, not just birds, but also animals. Anti Wright, in his book, The Case for Psalm 147, says of these verses, God feeds the animals then and is kind to those who call upon him. God may be building up Jerusalem, 
but he is also out there in the world making the grass grow on the hills and feeding the young ravens when they call to him. God who delights in those who fear him also takes pleasure in them. Verse 10 to 11. God delights in his people. He is not impressed with the power of, his, of this world. The mighty nations of this world do not impress him. God, God's deepest delight doesn't come when he watches human accomplishments. Horse racing or football. I know we enjoy these things. But that's not what delights God. This awesome God who names the stars, feeds the creation, actually takes delight in you, you and me. Those who fear him receive his particular attention. And in Psalms, he says, he is not impressed by the strength of, the, of, of a horse. He does not value the power of man. The, the Lord values who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. God takes joy in his people. God loves his people. God delights in his people. Think deeply about this. The Lord does delight in you. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Lord delights in you. Why? Because the Father has perfected delight in his Son. Through our union with Christ, the Father is pleased with us. God looks at us through Christ and delights in us because we are in Christ. We have been caught up in his divine delight. Rest assured that God who matters most takes pleasure in you. We should praise God always. For he gave his word. Psalms 147, verse 12 to 20. Why did God give his word? God gave his word to bless his people. Verse 12 to 14. The third exhortation to worship comes in verse 12. Exhort the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. Why should God's people praise him? And why should we also praise him? Why should the Israelites praise him? Why should the Christians praise him today? Psalmist in, one, in verse 13 to 14 gives more reasons as to why we should praise God. He says, For he strengthens the bars of your gates, and blesses your children within you. He endows your territory with the prosperity. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. Remember, these ones of psalmist were sung after the Israelites came from the exile. They had lost everything. They had lost everything. 
And now he is calling them. In this time when they are rebuilding their homes, when they are rebuilding temple, when they are rebuilding the city, when they are preparing their lands, and then he reminds them and calls them to praise God because God always keeps his covenant. He had promised prosperity. He had promised that he will take care of his people. He will satisfy them. He had promised that he will take care of their cities. And yet, the city was destroyed. The farms were, bushes were growing. You know, farms had become desolate. You know, these people's families had been broken. And now when they come back, the psalmist is calling them and reminding them to praise God. And he says that God defends and protects his people. He uses just governments and officials to oversee matters. Even today, God blesses his people with the children. Here, increasing the population of the gathered exiles and us too. And then, we see the, that God grants peace along Jerusalem, borders, and provides his people with the finest wheat. So, peace, provision, and prosperity all comes from God. Timothy Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says, God works through our works. God provides for our civic work needs through the civic work of people. God provides food for us by using farmers, bakers, truck drivers, retailers, and computer programmers. This should help us to understand that this reality dignifies work. Even small work matters. Cleaning your house doesn't require a master's degree. But if someone doesn't clean the house, you may very well die. So, even small job matters. An implication of the dignity of work for the local church is that we should not be snobby towards people who may have a lesser job in the eyes of the world. God uses all kinds of people to sustain his creation. They matter to God and they should matter to us. Second, seeing the relationship between God's providence and our human labors provides additional meaning to work. Most Christians think that the only the only way they can honor God at work is by being good witnesses. Or they should be, and they should be good witnesses. Their co-workers need the gospel. But also, the work that each one of us does matters. If you are a farmer, God wants you to provide daily bread to people through you. If you are a builder, God may use you to create security and peace for others. If you are a stay-at-home mom, God wants you to do the best for the kids and family and also stay-at-home dads. 
we also have stay home dads. If you are information technology, God wants you to use your skills to make sure communication is good, safeguarding data, and helping employees troubleshoot their computers. If you are a business owner, God wants you to provide the best customer service possible. We should see all our work in view of God. We should do our job for the good of the people and the glory of God. God who gave his word reminds us, he commands the weather. Verses 15 to 18. These verses pick up from the previous of God's power over creation. In verse 4 to 5 and 8 to 9. When God speaks creation on base, the psalmist says, he sends, his, he sends his command throughout the earth. His word runs swiftly. His, his prints snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He throws his hailstones like cramps. Who can withstand his cold? He sends his word and melts them. He unleashes his winds and the waters flow. He says, let there be frost. And there is frost. The hail falls at his word. He can cause the temperatures to rise and fall. He controls the weather. You know, I like listening to the weather forecast. Although they do very excellent work to update us on even dangerous effects, such as severe storms and tornadoes, there is some great contrast between the forecasters and the God who commands it. In the book of Job, Elihu says, For he says to the snow, Fall to the earth, and there falls heavy, heavy rains. His might heavy rains serve as his sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their rares and stays in their dens. The windstorm comes from its chamber and the cold from driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God and water expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning round and round at his direction. Accomplishing everything, he commands them over the surface of inhabited world. He causes this to happen. That's how he he finishes here. For punishment, for his land, all for his faithful love. It can be a blessing. It can be a punishment. Sometimes we should always think of both. Blessings and sometimes punishment. Who knows? God knows. God can make things freeze 
God can make wind blow, the waters to flow. God commands weather. The psalmist and Elihu help us look at the weather and marvel at God's sovereignty, majesty, power, justice, and love. Spurgeon says, It is wise to see God in winter and in distress as well as in the summer and prosperity. We should see God always in all seasons, good seasons, <laughs> bad seasons, but all seasons are there for a purpose. What happens during the heavy winter storm? Anyway, schools are closed. Games are cancelled. As ice and snow continue to fall. How do you respond to such snow storms? How do we respond? There are various ways we should respond. Obviously, sometimes we complain. But we should pray for people who find themselves in desperate situations. We should help the homeless and the needy. But we should also marvel at the power of God. We should stand amazed by his authority. He can send the freezing ice and he can, he can then melt it. And we should see our need for his mercy. God gave his word to inherit his people, to instruct his people. God gave his word to instruct his people. These are the last verses, 19 to 20. Finally, the psalmist speaks of God's written word, the word through which God reveals himself, the word through which God speaks to us, the word that the psalmist is singing and is calling the Israelites to sing, the assembly of the Israelites to sing together with him. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. He has not done this for any nation. They do not know his judgments. Hallelujah. God revealed his word to his people. God did his, this for no other nations. Verses 19 to 20. God chose Israel to be the first recipients of his words, of his word, in that they were recipients of God's great grace. That privilege comes with the responsibility of making his word known to the nations. They were called not just to be separated and to be just a nation by themselves and enjoy God's blessings alone, but they were supposed to, to, to share this with the nations. But because of their disobedience, they had to go to exile. Now they are back. By God's providence, the nation can know his word, that God keeps his covenant. We should desire for the world to hear God's word and know it. One of the best things we can do for our unbelieving friends is to invite them 
to stand the scriptures with us. God speaks to people and draws people to himself through the gospel. We need to treasure God's word. Read it, meditate it, and speak it. On reflecting about all the wonderful reasons for exalting and praising God, the psalmist ends where he began. Hallelujah. You praise Yahweh. You must praise Yahweh. We should. And also we must. It's a command that God is giving. Nothing can compare with exalting and praising Yahweh. Praising God brings God's presence and power in our lives. The power that helps us to overcome. The power that helps us to endure. The power that helps us to do His work. The power that helps us to stand tall in the world that is messed up. Hallelujah. We should praise God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because today we have your word. And your word is truth. When you speak in your word, you make covenant. You made a covenant with Abraham. You made a covenant with David. You made a covenant even with Noah. Lord, you made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we can read your word. We can hear of the things that you have done since the creation of this world. Lord, we can trust you because you are a God who acts, a God who promises and fulfills, a God who keeps covenant for generations. Lord, we thank you that today we can sing with the psalmist. That Lord, you have reminded us you heals our broken hearts. Many times we have broken hearts. Sometimes we have experiences that are very challenging, like the Jewish people, like your people Israel. Lord, remember your covenant that you made through Jesus Christ. That Lord, you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. That Jesus said he will be with his disciples. And we are your disciples until the end of the age. Lord, we cry before you today. We pray that Lord, you'll heal our homes. You'll heal our jobs. You'll heal our lives. You'll bring our families together, broken families. You'll bring our children together. You'll bring husbands and wives together. You'll encourage 
those who are singles, you'll give them strength and bless them with your blessings. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us even today as we continue to worship you and as we it comes to the time to go home. Please be with us this week until we meet the next week. We praise you. We worship you. Nothing can compare with you. Your presence is what we desire that you'll be with us like you were with Moses and the Israelites. Be with us as we walk this journey and that Lord help us to become even more bold. Help us to overcome. In Jesus' name, amen.